Hey, buddies, fellow Franco fans, it is I, your host, Jason Rudy, from Desperate Visions Productions, a Sacramento, California-based filmmaking group headed up by yours truly. And as this episode comes out, uh, we have already had the Emmanuel in Sin City premiere, because uh, I'm recording this before that, and uh, everything was good. Um, some of you have been ordering the DVD um, fundraiser copies that I'm putting out right now of Emmanuel in Sin City and Lady Hyde to raise funds for closed captioning charges so I can get uh, Emmanuel in Sin City and maybe some other films, past films, onto the streaming services. Uh, the more I sell, of course, the more money I have and the more options I have to put more films up. So, yeah, I've already got them um, all set um like in a streaming format, different different codes, you know, MP4s and MOVs and that. So, uh, yeah, they're all they're all backlogged, ready to go up. So uh, I just gotta have the money to do closed captioning uh, through a different through companies, and then take those tracks, and then submit it through um, Film Hub and all that, and then off we go. So, yeah, that's where we're at on this side of the microphone, and on the other side of the microphone is us talking about. Episode 126, film 130, and that would be Sola Ante Terror, Sola Ante El Terror, also translated from Spain as Alone Against the Terror. Uh, it's Spain, 1983, Jess Franco's most prolific year, because um, you can see the time running out of independent cinema closing up and... Uh, video kind of on the rise here in 83. Uh, alternative titles for this Sola Ante Inter is uh, Los Monstruos de Fisky Manor. Uh, the Monster of Fisk Manor. Uh, production company Mundial Films SA out of Madrid. Theatrical distributor Mundial Film SA Madrid. Timeline uh, shooting date on this. He shot this in November of 1983. Uh, but before they got that, they got the legal number on October 15th of 83. And it played Madrid July 28th of 1986. So yeah, almost uh, two years or three years later. And then it's played Seville. Uh, usually Madrid's last, but Seville's last this time. June 9th of 87, 1987. Theatrical running time, Spain, 90 minutes. Oh, yeah, once again, get all information from Flowers of Perversion, The Delirious Cinema of Jesus Franco, Volume 2 by Stephen Thrower. All right, uh, theatrical running time, 90 minutes out of Spain. Video running time, the U.S., uh, Video Magoo, M-A-G-O, N-T-S-C Video. Uh, that's 85 minutes, 47 seconds. Of course, we all know who the writer-director on all these are, but once again, writer-director, Jess Franco. Um, producers, Hermino Garcia and Santiago Mancara. Director of photography, it's not Franco this time, it's on Juan Solar Cozar. Makeup, uh, Juana de la Moreno, that's um, Antonio Mine's wife. Editor, David Raposo. It's interesting now that uh, Franco's not editing his films, probably because he's shooting so fast that he's getting another editor, so he's maybe that's why it's the most prolific year, because he doesn't have to edit. That's interesting. Um, music, Daniel White as Pablo Vila. Uh, let's see. 
uncredited camera operator Jess Franco, camera assistant Angel Odales, and production manager Antonio Mayans. So on this one, Franco is only the writer, the director, and uh, and camera operator. So a camera operator, writer, and director. That's, that's good. Uh, he's not a producer, not an editor on it, or uh, a... Uh, yeah, so, okay, cool. All right, a uh, small cast on this film. Lena Romay as Candace Coster plays the role of Melissa Calvo. And Carmen Caron returns again uh, as Flora Calvo, Melissa's mother. So in this one she plays, uh, it's funny, Carmen Caron plays Lena Romay's mom. That's funny, she's not that much older than her. Um, Mabel Escano plays Marta, Flora's sister. Uh, Ricardo Palacios plays Dr. Orgoff. Now, Dr. Orloff, O-R-L-O-F. This is Dr. Orgoff, O-R-G-A-F. So you just change the L to a G. That's funny. Uh, Got this fly in here flying around. Uh, Let's see. Then we have Angel Odales as Rafael Iroquaza. Plays Angel, Melissa's male nurse. And little Flavia Mayans, as Flavia Hervas, plays young Melissa. And finally, her father, Antonio Mayans, plays Mario Cavo, Melissa's father. So yeah, he plays. That's funny. All right, skip the synopsis on that. It's quite lengthy on this one. Uh, All right, production notes. At some point in 1983, Jess Franco signed a two-film deal with Madrid-based Mundial Films, who financed Sola Ante el Terror. A retread, this film is, a retread of 1973's The Sinister Eyes of Dr. Orloff and Sangre in Miss Zapitos, Blood on My Shoes, which is a reworking of ideas from the comparatively recent La Noche de los Sexos Ebretos. Um, it's funny, Night of Open Sex. Um, Mundial was run by Hermino Garcia Calvo and Santiago Mancada Mercdala the latter of whom would go on to co-produce two more Franco titles, La Escavela Blanca uh, and La Ultima de Filipinas, Last of Filipinos and uh, White Slave, okay, uh, as well as writing Jungo Socho in Casablanca, One Night in Casablanca. Uh, Hermino Garcia Cavo would step forward in 1986 to offer financial support to Franco's Esclavos del Criminal. Okay, cool. All right. um, Okay, review by Stephen Thrower. After 1982's The Sinister Eyes of Dr. Orloff, Franco's minimalist remake of his classic The Awful Dr. Orloff, comes this botched remake of the already less than stellar uh, The Eyes of Dr. The Sinister Eyes of Dr. Orloff. Um, Made with this. Okay, so basically. 1982's Sinister Dr. Orloff is a remake of The Octal Dr. Orloff. And then this film, uh, Alone Against the Terror, is a remake of The Sinister Eyes of Dr. Orloff from 73. Made with a small cast at a single location, it's clear that the financial constraints were considerable. But as the more, but as the more interesting films of the period prove, lack of money need not hamper a Franco film. Unfortunately, the paucity of funds to go hand in hand with the lack of energy here which results in a weakness of the experimental version that characterizes Franco's best low budget projects. Soleil Ante Terror is com- 
competently photographed and reasonably well acted, but essentially lacking in stylistic or narrative ideas. The tiny cast also results in a less than impressive body count, a problem slow pacing exacerbates. Basically, this is not a film to quicken the heartbeat of horror devotees. Rather, like Lillian, the Virgin Perverted, it is of interest chiefly to hardcore Francophiles who may find themselves in the mood for a shopping list of familiar ingredients. Wonderful locations aside, the only visual interest comes from the way Franco shoots the killings, cutting back and forth between the young Melissa and Romay's adult version. The intercutting stresses an intense link between father and daughter so often conjured in Franco's cinema. Although it should be noted that while Franco shows the little girl holding a knife and standing over a corpse with a tire iron, he doesn't film her actually killing anyone. With an exclamation mark. Uh, looking to the acting, Escano and Carmen Carrion are both very adept as the ugly sisters to Romay's Cinderella, giving strong performances that ooze with spite, cynicism, and bitterness. Romay is less memorable here, but she does at least add another string to her acting bow. Frumpiness. She cloaks her beauty in an aura of dullness and depression, looking uncharacteristically and glamorous, unglamorous and entirely inhabiting her sad and lonely character. Sola Ante Il Terror is not a bad Franco film, it's just that its a reiteration of familiar themes fails to rise from the ashes of its forebears. Once again, a woman feels compelled by a supernatural force to commit murder. Once again, Lena Romay wakes up screaming from nightmares. Once again, a sinister voice soaked in reverb issues hypnotic commands. Of course, given that many will come to Franco's films without knowing their precise order, you can argue that one man's tired third helping is another man's quintessential classic. Perhaps all depends on your jump on as to which horse the carousel you regard as the foremost. Franco's cinema is so riddled with repetition and reverberation, and its precise chronologically is so difficult to establish that multiple versions of the same story seem to vibrate in sympathy with successors and predecessors. A fanciful notion. Ultimately, Sola Ante Eter wears its tiredness too blatantly on its sleeve to compete with the films that came before it. For all its occasional charms, this is not a Generavate addition to the Franco canon. Given the simplicity of plot, it doesn't help that there are several vague or confusing aspects. The first of which, okay, these are going to be spoilers, I guess. Uh, the first of which concerns Dr. Orgoff's role in the plot against Melissa. At first, it seems clear cut. Flora and her sister Marta are plotting with Orgoff to dispose of Melissa and get their hands on her father Mario's money. After the murder of interfering cousin Enrique, Orgoff says to Flora that it would be a good thing if Melissa turned out to be the killer. Orgoff is thus clearly in on the plot to get rid of Melissa. Later, however, after Melissa <coughs> has murdered Angel, Orgoff informs the two sisters that he knows they killed Mario and demands a third of the inheritance from his silence for his silence. It seems that Orgoff agreed to help the sisters defraud Melissa without telling them that he knew they'd killed Mario. So skimpy is the dialogue that it's difficult on first viewing to make sense of his admission. An additional line from Flora would have clarified the shift in his position. The problem continues when Orgoff decides to use Melissa to murder Flora. He acts as though this will leave Melissa as the sole beneficiary of Mario's will. But how can Orgoff get his hands on the cash with Flora no longer alive to blackmail? 
a single line of dialogue attempts to convey, but not to convey his not very convincing plan. How can he borrow money from a dead woman? He can't mean he'll borrow from Melissa. Um, whatever way you look at it, the dialogue is incoherent. Franco also seems perversely disinterested in building up a plausible relationship between Melissa and David, the gentlemanly rock singer living next door. They speak just once, and she tells him to leave her alone. Despite the brush off, he's smitten enough on. He's smitten enough on this brief acquaintance to suggest paying royalties to Melissa for a song he writes after meeting her. It must be love. And after seeing her driven away by Orgoff, he's on the verge of forcing entry to the Calvo residence, especially when Flora answers the door and a sound from within makes her jump. A cynic might say the character of David is undeveloped because the story was bashed out in an hour at a restaurant table with no second draft, but let's not be hasty. By all accounts, Franco's own feelings for Lena Romay was love at first sight, so perhaps he was simply drawing on his own experience. Other inconsistencies arise because of the film's lack of supporting characters. Flora's plan to do away with Marta without being suspected of murder rests on the latter, having supposedly announced to all and sundry that she's moving away to live somewhere else. Flora gloats uh, before bashing her brains, <laughs> sister's brains in the shower. Uh, this will all be fine if Marta had been speaking to Okay, um, The plot point is, in fact, poured over from his entirety from the sinister of Dr. Orloff, the difference being that the in that film... Marta did indeed discuss her plans to leave, both with Orloff and the police. Unfortunately, there are no police in uh, Lone Against Terror, although absent detail, which hampers credibility. Surely the, sir, sh, sh, hampers, surely the police would have been sniffing around the floor, giving her cousin and her servant both, have both been found dead just yards from the house. Um, he's giving almost the whole spoilers here. I don't know. It's just a pity. I'll just read the last line. Uh, this simply sequence, this made all the more effort by Carmen Carrion's subtle performance, shows that Franco can play the game suspense if he really wants to. The skill so rarely used is easily within his range. It's just a pity he didn't apply the same approach to the whole story and give it the lift it really needs. Franco on screen. Although Jess does not appear in the film, he does He does dub Cousin... He dubs Cousin Enrique an irritating drunk. Yeah, he's been... Uh, Dubbing people, I noticed at the end of, um, um, what was that one? Uh, oh, uh, the Thong Girls. He, he, uh, dubs the actor with his kids and stuff at the end of that scene. Um, okay, theatrical release. Uh, Solante Terror received only a brief release in Seville, playing for two nights at the Cantonese drive in. Surprisingly, there were quite a few drive ins op- operating in Spain in the mid 1980s. Nine in the Providence of Valencia and Alicante, with others dotted around elsewhere, mostly in the Mediterranean regions. Opening from 10 in the evening until 3 in the morning, they were much in the same design as their American models. El Canadense, so named because its owner, Antonio Castro, was a Canadian immigrant, was located 8 kilometers from Seville and was advertised as the largest in Spain. Okay, video release. Although not widely seen, Sola en el Terror was released on video in the USA in Spanish without English subtitles by Video Magoo Corporation, a company based in New Jersey, which specialized in Spanish and Venezuela titles. They also put out Franco's uh, Blood on My Shoes alongside such oddly obscurities as uh, Los Agres Vampires de Vogel by... Uh, Julio Perez Tabernero from 1975 and 
in un Sunvergalencia by Augustin Navarro, 1970. All right, music. The credits employ the same heavily phased synthesizer music used on the title sequence of The Sinister Dr. Orloff, 1982, just as Lillian, The Virgin Perverted, 82, shared a title theme with The Sexual Story of O, 83. As usual for the 1980 films, the remaining score is mostly familiar from the other Franco films of the period. Uh, the Taste of Your Sperm makes a welcome comeback, having last been heard in 1981's La Noche de la Sexo Sebertios. Uh, a music box tune and a couple of M.O.R. jazz pieces are the only new recordings. The credit refers to a piece called Annie Lowry, adapted for the film by Fernando Garcia Morcello. I can only find... I can find only one reference to a song with a similar title, Little Ann Lowry, an obscure ballad by the blackface performer W.H. Dilhanty, who, with his writing partner T.M. Hengler, was said to have been ranked with the best in ministerly. Uh, note that this is the third Franco film to feature hippie folk rocks, folk rockers as potential saviors of a trapped woman, the others being Midnight Party, in Opala de Fuego. The lyrics of the song sung by, I kid you not, David Prokop Hutchinson, Melissa's Night Shining Denim, are a jumble of English phrases with no discernible connection, like a William Burroughs cut-up of a John Denver lyric. <laughs> That's weird. Uh, locations. The location, uh, once again, is Ricardo Bofill's Xanadu, and the Morella Rola, let's see my glasses, and the Morella Roja in Calipe. They are, of course, among Franco's most obsessively adored edifices. And here's a treat for aficionados in uh, Alone Against the Terror. We see them from new angles. The killing of Enrique, for instance, displays Xanadu through the open architectural palisades of the Morella Roja, emphasizing. Their proximity, which is also carefully concealed in Franco's camera angles in other films. Uh, rather curiously, given that we've never seen them before, Franklin neglects to cover up the signs on the outside staircases, pointing to the restaurant Del Mar and adjoining bar on the lower level of La Manzera. The location is supposed to be a single residential abode. Also allowed into the film, for no narrative reason, Angel drives a car, with the name of the Manzanera Complex's in-house Indian restaurant, Mandala, embosled on the side. That's funny. So he must have borrowed the, uh, the like, courtesy car for the hotel or something for part of the shoot. That's funny. That's cheap, though, cutting corners. All right, connection. Uh, as already noted, Sola Ante del El Terror is a remake of Franco's 1973 film, The Sinister Eyes of Dr. Orloff. The family name has been changed from Comfort to Calvo, but the first names are the same for Melissa, Flora, and Marta. The earlier film's pop star character, Davy Prokop, a.k.a. Sweet Davy Brown, I forgot about that, uh, has morphed into David Prokop Hutchinson for the remount. Quite what's going on with Dr. Orgoff is a puzzle. Perhaps Franco felt that it was too soon after the Golden Films production sinister Dr. Orloff to reintroduce the character by his real name Sola Ante El Terror 
rings that carry changes only in regards to the occult force directing Lissa's actions. Rather than the heroine's dead father in the 1973 version, the controlling influence was the living Dr. Orloff. The shooting title of Solante, Solante and Terra was The Monsters of Fisk Manor. Fisk Manor was also the name of the mansion in which the sinister Dr. Orloff took place. This suggests that Franco was fond of the marvelous and very strange Charles Vidor movie, Ladies in Retirement, 1941. Um, released in Spain as El Mysterio de Fisky Manor, which told the tale of murder, insanity, and blackmail involving three sisters. Um, Melissa is reading El Informe de Brody, a.k.a. Dr. Brody's Report, a collection of short stories by George Luis Borges. Published in 1970, written later in Borges's career, the stories were intended by the author as a refinement and simplification of his writing style, something that echoes what Franco is attempting to in his minimalist works of the 80s. Several of the stories contained in Dr. Brody's report involve duels or violent rivalries. The Intruder, for instance, in which two brothers become murderously obsessed with one woman or possess characters who enact the antagonisms of others. Although the similarities are slight, they're worth pointing out more often. The books we see Fra- Franco's heroines read are of zero significance to the story at hand. Other versions, none. Katja Bennett is incorrectly named as a star on the poster of this film, so the role of Melissa would seem to have been intended for her. Also on the poster, and carelessly carried over from the Spanish VHS co- cover, uh, were Anna Stern, a.k.a. Anna Stern from... Fury of the Tropics and Blood on My Shoes and Karen Feld from The Demons. One assumes they were lined up to play the roles that went to Mabel Escano and Carmen Carrion. So, all right. Well, that's the beginning of that. So, uh, on this episode, I am joined by returning guest reviewer, Colleen from Los Angeles, California. And uh, she's watching it, and I'm going to watch it, and we'll get together on Zoom and talk to each other and see what we thought of Alone Against the Terror. So hang out past the bumper music, and we will entertain you. All right. Buenas noches, maha. here for the review portion of episode 126 film 130 magic 13 uh this film being alone against the terror uh solante el terror and uh speaking of somebody who is alone against the terror right now in los angeles with this big storm going on i welcome collie to the show hi collie Oh, it's not too terrifying. Although there was a, a mudslide that made the New York Times like uh, right, right on my street. The last time rain was this hard, like how ha- like this this whole giant house fell on, onto my street like, across the street. It like destroyed like three cars, and wow. I, I was parked right next to one of them. It was like whoa, that could have been me. So yeah. yeah, it is a little dodgy around here, I suppose. Now that you say it, yeah, but no, yes, oh, I'm yeah. not quite as alone in the terror as Lena. Yeah. Well, this this terror being the storm that we've all went through this last since New Year's, so you know. Yeah, 
It's pretty crazy. So, but yeah, so this is uh, Alone Against the Terror, which is basically a remake of the uh, Sinister Eyes of Dr. Orloff. Uh, basically, storyline, character names. And instead of Dr. Orloff, there's Dr. Orgoff, which I was laughing. You know, yeah. Guy. So, and it's the same story all the way through. Um, so, um, had, had you seen this film before? Nope. First time. Yeah, same here. And uh, did you watch the print with subtitles, I hope? Yeah. Okay, good. Uh, did you like it? Um, I mean, I did, but it, it was, it's definitely not like one of my favorite Jesses, but um, it's, you know, it, it had um, loved the music. Most of all, there was like that one song towards the beginning that was just lovely. And then like all the side effects, um, the, the, the um, like sound effects, I mean, and the, just the, the weird, uh, yeah, I loved the, the sound and this was wonderful. And, you know, it had its charms. I mean, we'll go into it, I suppose. But, totally. um, but yeah, you know, I mean, I liked the catty old ladies and their huge boobs. Um, and, you know, those elements. I mean, I don't know. There's a lot of things, actually, as far as just like the setting and how he framed some of the shots and all yeah. that. There's a really nice shots and really nice lighting in this. It's one of the positive things I'll say is, yeah, definitely. There's very visually very nice scenes in this film definitely definitely yeah yeah he's he's got he, he's, he's got a few moments but in general it didn't really draw me i felt like it was the longest 81 minutes like it's, it's same here it, i know i was like going it's not that long i'm just like going dude this film is like keeps going on and on and it's weird because he's not <laughs> editing this one or the one before and i think the one after he has a different person editing now which is bizarre um but that's why he did like I guess 13 or 14 films this year. This was his most prolific year. So it's like, since he's not editing these last few of the year, he's okay. making more of them, but they're kind of turning out kind of weird. Pacing. Yeah. The pacing on this was really tough. I, I don't know why, but it felt like it took me all day to watch that. I mean, I was working on you know other stuff and sort of like going like, you know, kind of toggling, but it was still like, God, I'm still just like that far into the movie and there's still this much left. And it's yeah. only been five minutes since I, God, it was just, it just seemed really weirdly like, and I, usually there's a certain flow and a certain, you know, just, I, I never really complain or, or concentrate about pacing with, with Jess. So it was a really weird uh, mind space to be in, which, you know, kind of goes with the movie, I suppose. Yeah, I had the exact same uh, situation. Like, I watched the first 20 minutes today about 2 o'clock, and then I took a nap for, like, a half hour. And I got up and did some stuff, and then I was like, oh, yeah, we got to do the podcast about 7. So I was like, okay. So I gave myself enough time, but then, like, I watched, like, half hour. Then I go outside with the chickens. I came back, and I was like, still had, like, an hour left. And then, like, I still had 45 minutes left. I'm like, Jesus, is going forever, and it's, like, getting close to the time. And I literally just finished it, like, 10 minutes before we started. <laughs> But the last twenty minutes, day? yeah, yeah that's, I was like, that's fuck, it's so weird. It too. And I was <laughs> like, dude, it's only been ten minutes. Yeah, so fun. And then like, <laughs> but I will say the last like fifteen minutes are really, really good. Like the last fifteen twenty minutes, like it starts going and go. I was like, okay, this is really in the nice shots, and they start piling up a lot of cool stuff toward the end. You know? Which, yeah, because I was, I like, you know, I mean, to be fair, like the plot actually tracks, and you oh, know, yeah. some of the plots, you, some of Joss's plot, God, Joss. Some of Jess's plots, you're like, uh, yeah, no, that doesn't really make any sense. And I mean, there there was a little bit of that in here. Like, for instance, why kill her dad um, to get the inheritance if you're not going to kill her too? 
because then you have to wait for her to die and it was like why do they let her grow up and just it, that didn't really make any sense to me but and I kept wondering about that like what is the point like why haven't they killed her yet like why haven't they lost like what, what what are they doing with it I don't get like why would they kill this guy for the inheritance and then just wait around for his daughter to grow up like like she's obviously gonna die after him so it just that none of that made any sense to me but then at least like the reason for the guy being involved started making sense toward the end and then like you know then everything got fun when you know the murdering but yeah, yeah it was like yeah, the whole premise of the movie i was like uh okay like <laughs> you know because it's like it starts out with him getting killed yeah. And then it, it's it's pretty it's explained fairly soon that it was for the inheritance, but it's like but they don't get it until she dies. So it's like, so why did you kill him? Like what you know? <laughs> like it just didn't make any sense. Well, yeah, I think. Well, I mean, I think they killed him, and then since he was married to that one woman, she thought if he died, she'd get the inheritance. But then he left it to the daughter. So then in theory they couldn't kill the daughter because then they'd go to prison so they had to wait for her to be crazy and then get the inheritance from that way which is done in a lot of movies that's not a uncommon element i've seen that done in, in, especially in uh in um, um Jeez, other Franco you think films. you check the will when somebody's got a daughter before you go killing them thinking it's well not everything's foolproof that's there's that's a crime movie. there's always wise. But think on. about it. I mean, a crime movie, will. something always goes wrong in a crime movie. That's why it's that way. If everything went yeah. perfectly right, then there'd be no movie. You know, there's got to be a, oops, we fucked up. Now we got to fix that thing that fucked up, you know, sure, like Fargo yeah. or any of that shit. There's always a some screw up and then everybody's got to figure out how to make it right. You know, it's like Jess is your boyfriend and you'll just make any excuse for him. No, I'm, not, I'm just being a logical <laughs> filmmaker. and I, But believe me, man, I take him to the coals on shit, too. I mean, I'm not, you know, you there's things that, that we just definitely disagree on, you know, like. I know. I'm just playing. Yeah, here. Don't you talk about Jess. him that way. Jess. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. um, all right, well, let's start off in the kind of beginning of the film. One we see right off the bat, like two, we he's filming in uh, Alicante. So we have the uh, Xanadu house from uh, She Killed an Ecstasy and all the other cool stuff. And then the red apartment building that has the really cool architecture right down the street from that. Uh, yeah, so that was like really, really cool. Wasn't that house indifferent, just like the black one that's always in the background? Yeah, like I said, that's in, in that? uh, uh, She Killed an Ecstasy. Where she yeah, okay, yeah, that yeah, that was the She Killed an Ecstasy. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, I kept being like, which... Yeah, that, it was definitely the She Killed an Ecstasy house, yeah. And then the yeah, red well, apartment building they've used they've in other used ones in where, she's, where she's going movies. down the staircase and other films. And I, I off the top of my head, I don't remember, but those are two buildings he's used a lot and that big uh stone mountain out in the water you know that, that yeah area. it's like half dome out on the ocean it's yeah. really cool especially that last uh shot with the rainbow oh god really yeah crazy. the the last fucking shot's like one of his best fucking final scene shots it's like it's even the whole with the daughter and all that other stuff but yeah all that together is just really beautiful you know really nice yeah, ending. for um, sure like i said the yeah. film picks up the last you know end of it um but yeah so we see uh xanadu is the name of that house so we see that and then the other building um uh and it has the same opening track the music that synthesizer from the sinister dr orloff which is funny so they took the same music that they took the, the story from so they're basically saying you know and a lot of the same names a lot of the names are the same as well of the characters um and i laughed at the beginning because uh and they mentioned in the book like so that's supposed to be the house they live in 
that they're out doing it. But then you see the sign for the restaurant and the sign for the bar, like right by the building. And in other mm-hmm. movies, they were there, but Franco never shot him on this. He's just kind of being fast with the shooting. So he inadvertently shot a couple of these signs. And they do mention that later, like the car that the guy drives in is is from the restaurant, uh, Mandala, which is funny. That's one of the restaurants in that red building. Uh, yeah. So that whole thing, it was kind of funny. The Jess really got all the value for his buck. He got the location and the car from the business and showed the signs and everything. You know? There wasn't a single mandala in the whole movie, which was kind of a lost, you know, opportunity. Yeah. Cause he shot in that mandala restaurant. Cause I recognize that name and it's in like a movie, maybe 10 movies back or something, 15 movies back. But I remember the a mandala restaurant. So in one of the, I'll have to go back. You know, I mean, back. a mandala is the, like the, the drawing that the, what is it the the is it the Buddhists or uh, one of those like uh, Eastern you know philosophy kind of yeah. thing? You, like you Eastern make a Indian, I believe, it's like something. a circle thing that you do, and then you're supposed to just spend all this time doing it. And when it's complete, then you like you know it's all sand, and you just blow it away, and it's like a, a meditative thing. I don't know. They do. Oh, that's the interesting. That almost goes with the story too. You know. Yeah. Like setting her up the whole time in the meditative state of her brain and controlling her. And then in the end, it all just blows away. Huh. That's interesting. So they were talking okay. about that. I mean, really the, I mean, in the end, because it all fucks up. She doesn't, you know, the crash and all that, you know. Yeah, um, totally. Yeah. So um, so then we see, uh, we zoom in the beginning, uh, Lena. Um, uh, what do we got here? With the worst wig. I've, oh yeah, I've her candy coster wig. Yeah. Now, okay. Now this movie is really weird. Before Excuse we go any me, further, Candice Foster is what it said in the title in the credits. Yeah, Candice Foster. And, and this film cracking up. And this <laughs> film has no nudity in it, which like shocked the f out of me. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, yeah. There's just those big bazoombas on those women. They're yeah, like clothes, yeah, like cleavage, jiggling them out. I mean, that, that's like as much cleavage as I think any movie has ever had. Yeah. But it was, I mean, it was like the double D's it was busted out, you know, it was like Marilyn Monroe boobies up in there. But, but yeah, you never got to see any nip slips. Yeah, no, even no, no, no lovemaking scenes, no stripping down. No. No, I was like, whoa, like they're waiting. Like, when's the first nude no scene? No sexy like, times. Yeah. yeah, which I was kind of shocked for this, um, especially with Lena. Um, but I was laughing. There's one scene I laughed is when they, uh, in the beginning, when Lena's having breakfast and they bring like her toast and her jam and something else, Franco like zooms in all the way to the like fucking jelly jar. It just shows the whatever the jelly she's having. I just thought that was so stupid. Yeah. <laughs> totally unnecessary, you know? He's just like, That's like right, yeah. all the way in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so Lena Kill. Okay, so before that, uh, we it's kind of like Cinderella where she has her two ugly sisters, but then we find out that that's her mom and her aunt. Right. And it's almost the same thing of Cinderella you know, being there and then the two ugly sisters going out and doing, having fun and she's trapped there and, and all that stuff. Um, yeah. But, uh, oh, yeah. She's then, crazy. She's not cleaning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She'll have mice running around her shit. I mean, but. she wakes up screaming and then they, they make fun of her like, oh, I'm going crazy. Ha ha ha. Yeah. And speaking of, that's a good, that actually. Yeah. There's a good scene where she's sitting in bed and she hears their voices through the like vent or something and where they're mm-hmm. laughing and they kind of zoom in on Lena. And that's a really good scene of like her just kind of sitting there taking their abuse, you know? Yeah. Um, but uh, so we see them with uh, another guy that's kind of like a bearded guy and that's their um, uncle Enric. And that's like 
yeah. her her cousin. So uh, Lena kills him first uh, when he's out drinking, and it's cool. So basically, the whole time Lena and herself sees herself as the little girl and doesn't really, I guess, see herself as who she is. So every time she kills, it's the little girl. That's the little girl was awesome in this. Yeah. She was like haunting and, and totally looked like a young Lena. And yeah, she she passes for Lena. Now see, that's uh, Antonio Mayan's daughter. Really? Yeah. And this is the fifth film that she's been in. So she started, because last few I've done solo and other stuff, but, uh, She's in the search for the golden dragon, her and her sister, and then she's in really? the thong. And her sister's in Thong Girls, and then she's in Camino Solitaro. She's really good. You already did Thong Girls. Yeah, well, that's that's the next one. Uh, oh, okay. I did that. So, like, that's already... 1987. We're not there yet. <laughs> well, no, it came out in 87, but it was made in 83. Oh, okay. We made all these together around the same time frame. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and then I the saw lady. I on my secret letterbox, and and I was like, you know, when I saw that, I, I sent to you like, oh, don't don't miss me for that one. And you were like, oh yeah, I did that. And I was like, wait, what? I wasn't yeah, sure yeah. If you did it or not because I was singing in 1987. And yeah, because yeah. because I got before I got uh, Kino Solitaro, he shot, and then Thong Girls, and then Alone Against the Terror. So Thong Girls was right before Alone Against the Terror. Okay. Yeah, yeah, in 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 a shooting order, you know, whenever they release them, it's another story, but. <laughs> of how they're made but yeah so antonio Ma- so what's cool is these past few films you have antonio mayans his daughter and he has another daughter that's acting in a few of them and then his wife does the makeup and she's in a few of the films she's not in this one um but um his wife's a a a, a good actress too awesome yeah yeah the the, the I, yeah so we were saying how like the the little girl kills um but the when she's she does it because she sees the dad who's like dripping with blood whenever she sees him in this really creepy, weird way. We should mention that. Like, how yeah, yeah. Like, go ahead on that. Yeah. That's no, funny. Light, the fake bright red, thin blood. Like if you're going to do blood, like, I mean, either, you know, if it's thin, it has to be kind of dark, like brownish or whatever else it's real. And then if it's like bright red, it's got to be thick because then it's like fun at it. But when it's like thin and red, it just looks like paint and it's just silly. And so it's like his face is just like dripping with this red paint. And it just looks so like, what are you doing? (laughs) I liked it because it's creepy because his beard and like the beard and the blood kept going in his mouth and his teeth and all of his beard. But watch the scene when they first show his bloody face the first time again, because when they first show it, you see the straw at the very top dripping the blood. And Franco, <laughs> I swear to God, Franco moves the camera up a little bit. And you see the edge of it, and then he moves it back down. I caught it. And I started laughing. I'm like, oh, man, there's the straw or the little tube. No, you know? Yeah, watch it again. The very first shot oh when you see him, God. you see it right at the top. You know? Oof. Yeah. Oof. I was like, oh, you might want to cut that out there. That it happens. You don't do your own editing. Oof. Yeah, I need a good call. Yeah. But, uh, but see, that reminded me of uh, – of uh, the other side of the mirror, like with Lena with or with the gal uh, seeing her father, you know, hanging by the noose. And then with this, seeing the father's face with the blood always being in her head and, and you know, sure. keeping her yeah. keeping her on that. Way. Yeah. Yeah. And he's he's telling her, you know, you must avenge me. And yeah. And first, you know, she's got to take that guy out. So, yeah. But then it turns out that everybody was in on it. Yeah. You got to kill, is- kill them all. Which is almost like uh, she killed in ecstasy as well, like killing the scientists one by one. And I mean, there's yeah. a lot of his things in this film, you know, 
but like like I thought of it as like of course the sinister eyes of Doctor Orloff, obviously, but there's uh, a nightmares come at night where she's always having the dreams and the rock band and the other people in the other buildings and stuff, and then um, um, that Marquis von Saad where Lena's like the crazy one in the room all the time and the other people plotting to get her killed, and I thought of um, uh, the other side of the mirror which she spoke about with all the ang- angles and stuff with there. Um, yeah. But yeah, so then after they kill the, she kills the first man, Uncle Enric, there's a scene I, I took a picture of, and I'm going to post it later on, but uh, the scene where the two women come back from the bar and they're drinking and they're like drunk and they're laughing. And she goes, yeah, I almost pissed my pants. I'm like, oh, there's the pee line for the movie. You know? <laughs> and they're talking about the guys they saw in the bar and how they're laughing and this and that and how the guy wanted to fuck her and stuff. And then they were joking about it. But yeah, and then they're seeing, and they walk by that guy, Angel, and he's digging that stuff. Uh, which angel as we see punks you're just punks yeah you're just punks yeah yeah you sluts are just punks i know they call her sluts a lot yeah yeah. i thought i'm working with these sluts sluts. (laughs) (laughs) um and then uh so they figure okay well they they have the advice of they're supposed to let lena go outside so lena goes outside and she just happens to see this um rock band next door which uh and I think it sinister eyes of Orloff. He's called Sweet Davy Brown or Sweet Davy. And here he's he's um, another name that has three names. And the guy that was playing the drums, I thought, looked like a mix between uh, John Holmes and Papa John Phillips. I can see it. <laughs> yeah, okay. he had the big mustache. You only see him for a bit, but yeah, he's funny. That that little weird side thing with like the guys next door was so strange and random. You know, Dave coming yeah, by and he's like all concerned about her like i don't know i i <laughs> i mean i think that like you know you can be really hot and have a lot of things going on with you but like once you're to the point that you're so crazy you're like you know for psychological reasons you're in a wheelchair and you're like that mental i mean I feel like if there's one thing that like dudes just like, I mean, they have a boner for chicks, you know, like until they find out like the crazy is at like, you know, straight jacket level. And then it's just like, no, you know, like, like, how can you, it's sort of like, you know, it's like wanting to have sex with somebody who's, you know, mentally disabled. It's like, you know, it's like, it's like, it's not, it's not sexy to want to, you know, hook up with a crazy chick, you know, and she's like, you know, holding her head like, ah, you know, when she sees him and he's trying to like say, you know, like, like grab her and she's like, oh, freaking out. And then he realizes like, oh, she's like in a chair and she's kind of like mental. And he's still like, no, you're beautiful. You're beautiful. It's like, it's all that matters. And it's like, I have the hardest time buying that because it's just like, you know, I think dudes like when they see a chick who's that level crazy, you're not going to be like, okay, I still want to get romantically involved. you know. Well, I <laughs> think he thought maybe she was crippled because she was in the wheelchair. But what's weird about that wheelchair well, is like, to me, it almost looked like a baby stroller, the wheelchair thing she was in. It was a weird kind of a wheelchair. I'd never seen one like that with the pushing it like a chair. I mean, it was almost like a wheelchair compared to the more square wheelchairs you see in hospitals and the old school yeah i mean it was also just like how she was acting i mean at no point around him did she ever act like hey how's it going she was just always like i can't go and you know she was like all crazy you know i mean and she's like in a wheelchair and she's acting crazy like why is he still like hey baby you know it was like a weird vibe i was like i don't i'm not buying like i don't know i mean i just rewatched the bodyguard and it was like watching like Whitney Houston try to have like any kind of like 
of, of romantic anything with Kevin Costner was just hilarious to me. Like I watched that for like the so bad it's good. Cause I'm like, there is no chemistry. And that's like how I feel when I see something like when they're just like, how, how is their chemistry there? Like she's in a wheelchair and she's right. crazy. Like and she's not having a conversation for? with them. And yeah, no, that's true. Well, like, what are you into? Like, cause Lena Romay, I mean, when she's Lena Romay is the sexiest, cutest thing in the world, but she was not that vibe in this movie. At no, no point is she cute or, or, ende- or like, she's not endearing, like, you know, in, in a sexual way at all, which is kind of maybe why Jess was like, yeah, we're not going to have like nudity in this. Cause it's just, that's kind of, it, it's weirdly inappropriate. You know, when you're that well, point of being, uh, you're, when you're that like mentally, she thinks she's a child mentally, you know, that's, they're literally showing her as a child. Like she thinks she's a child. So it's like, it's, that's beyond, I mean, like Jess is perverse, but there's a certain, like, once you get to that level of like, you know, I'm, I'm like regressing to my childhood. Like that's not hot. (laughs) But it's funny that, so what's funny is everything you say is all that true and stuff, but it's like, they talk about the seeing that having the guy fall for her that quick and stuff. And in that book I was reading, they had said that kind of the same thing. And also about Lena being like of all the movies she's in, she's never frumpy or on And this movie, she's totally like really frumpy in the film, not very attractive, which is crazy. And two, I like pouting the whole time, like not in a sexy way. She's pouting, like like, really upset. And plus, they said, like Jess said, we was talking about this. Like he he fell in love with Lena at first sight. So kind of that rock guy artist sees her and he fell in love with her at first sight, and that was kind of his little thing. I think with with her, you know. I mean, with Lena being Lena, anyone would fall in love with her at first sight. But he did, and they got together, and blah blah blah. Sure, yeah. So so he's more of a personal. Well, this is from my experience, and you know, so yeah, yeah. But I mean, I I still don't think he would have if she was in a wheelchair acting like right, screaming, yeah, (laughs) like a literal six-year-old. It's just it's a weird vibe to be like, hey, baby, I just wasn't, you know, just wasn't feeling it. But yeah, yeah. So anyway, but yeah, the, the the whole thing of how he just like pursues her and it, like the the weird way when he goes up to the door and he like won't leave that woman alone and he's pounding. I know that I'm jumping ahead, but it's so strange how he just like won't let her close the door. And he's yeah, like, it's weird. He's like, and then he makes that noise and he's like trying to get in. And it's like, what the fuck's your deal, dude? She's telling you to get the fuck out of there. It's not your house. Leave, you know. Yeah, like you don't know anyone here. You met this chick once. Like, why are you pounding on my door demanding to come in and talk to me about her? Like, that's not. I mean, if somebody like was like, and he's like outside yelling, I know you're in there. I mean, if somebody came to my mom's house, it was like, I know you're in there. Yeah. You're not- <laughs> I know. I see oh, your light. Yeah. No? I know because he screams it and then she says, Oh, hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. And then I've when she opens the door, you, he's like, yell that at you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then when he opens the door, he's like, oh, I saw your light, uh, so I thought you were home. Like, it was no big deal. Like, he's all casual after he's, like, yelling and stuff. Yeah, like, after he's been, like, yelling into the house. I know you're in there. Like, if anyone came to my house, even if I knew them, even if, like, my best friend came yelling, I'd be like, what the fuck is going on? Like, yeah. That was the the whole, yeah, the whole, there's a lot of weird. Well, weird. but going back to that guy, so going back to about 29 minutes into the film before all that, uh, this, so that scene where the guy loves her and fell in love with her and stuff, that scene where he's singing the song about her, where he's outside the place sit, playing the music and they have that sequence of Lena listening to it and then the 
you know, the different windows and that all that That song is so pretty. Yeah, I like and that's a nice sequence, it. all that, that. Even though I know it's so futile, I still am like Shazam. I'm like, please just come up with something. Even give me a song that sounds like this. Because it did sound weirdly familiar. And I was like, maybe it'll recognize the song it's reminding me of. It was such a pretty song. Yeah, I want that song. I want to, like, make a compilation of all these, like, lost, you know, Jess Franco tracks that, like that we've come across that are nowhere else but on random obscure films that like 10 people have watched and what's funny is before that when the band when you first see the band something i forgot to uh when you first see the band and they're playing a little song you hear about 20 seconds of before any vocals come in well if you listen again that song is uh the taste of your sperm remember that one song you know and from way way back you know no i don't remember that song yeah it's from cocktail special and uh forget that We'll remember cocktail special when they drank the big cup of sperm. It was in that one, and then the, oh, then that was what the, the, you, you, the. How did you know the song was called that though? Because it's because it's in about eight or ten Jess Franco films. Really? Yeah. Okay. Oops. That's amazing. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's like because I heard the little beginning. Oh, that's plus I saw in the book they said they reuse a lot of songs, and it says the taste of your sperm, and then I said, oh, okay, cool, and then when I watched it, I heard that little beginning. Oh, there, there it is. You know, so. That's incredible. I got to look for that on Spotify. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. It's funny. Taste of Your Sperm. Yeah, The Taste of Your Sperm. It's like that little, like, upbeat song. And there's even a one one movie where, where there's people dancing to it, like, in a dance club. I'm like, what the fuck? You know, like, why would you dance that song? <laughs> it's stupid. Um, yeah, so then I mentioned we don't have Dr. Orloff. We have Dr. Orgoff, O-R-G-A-F. And uh, it's funny because he did the other Orloff film in 82 – and so about a year later, I guess he decided that he didn't want to do another Orloff film, but he did, but he just changed the letters, you know, the, the same thing. But uh, yeah, this Dr. Orloff is a mad scientist, but he's not really a man. I mean, he's more like an evil doctor, you know, and he's been. Yeah, he's just got things. a bone of contention or whatever the the term is. He's he's just he's out to get her. And it's funny too watching that like he's this. Uh, um, Palacios is his last name, and he's in like Fury of the Tropics. And going back, he, he's in uh, one of the Fu Manchu films. He's like the big fat bandit guy with the beard, and he's in way back there. So he's done like yeah. about nine Jess Franco films. Uh, nice. I remember him and that. And, and then, but so, and he always has a thing with Lena. It's funny. Oh, well, not those two first films, but the rest of them, Fury of the Tropics and stuff. And in this one, he kind of reminded me of like, um, um, Harvey Weinstein, because he talked about kind of grooming her since she was a young kid. And he's like, you know, your mother married the man, or, you know, uh, married the man. I hated your father and I hated you. And now I'm like, I was like, geez, he's just all, he's all all fucking fat and gross and nasty. Like, watch out, Asia. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. No. Yeah. um, No, I mean, uh, yeah, his his gross, he's also gross like Harvey. And like, he keeps like, he's like, you know, all big and fat and keeps going like, <laughs> yeah, he's like constantly like coughing and being just yeah, he's just so gross. He's just this like this big kind of job of the hut dude with his the sounds he's making. And it's awesome because he's in uh, I forgot which one it was that I watched back. I think it was either Camilo Solitaro or uh, yeah, yeah, it had to be that uh, Camilo Solitaro. And he they uh, take his clothes off in that. And uh, he's naked in that one, so it's funny to see his little fucking dick. So I'm like, good for him, man. He fucking got naked for the film just to do it, you know. <laughs> hey, you know, maybe he's a grower, not a shower. Well, yeah, but I mean, he's like, hey, fuck, I don't give a fuck. So he's just I'm like, all right, because he knows how heavy he is and this and that and stuff. So yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, let it all hang out, baby. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's awesome. 
Um, so yeah, so, so now we jumped ahead to, um, it's the doctor and all that. And then we talked about the killing and they figure out the plan and, and stuff. And Lena kills Angel in the car. And then they take her and Dr. Orloff finds out and they start hatching the plan. And then we find out before that guy comes and knocks on the door, one of the sisters basically kills the other sister in the shower because the other sister had Brad. With her Brad. bare hands. Can we yeah, just talk she about like how rams her head against the fucking ridiculous that was. She like sat there and talked to her about how she was gonna kill her. And the woman's just like, oh no, and then lets herself get killed. She did not fight back. She did not even raise her arm. Oh, no, she let her head get like, slammed in the shower. And I was sitting there watching there, like, talking to her and she's telling her like, I'm going to kill you because you did, told everybody that you're leaving forever. And now I can kill you. And da-da-da. he's like, she's like explaining to her for like five minutes that she's going to kill her. Like if, if I wouldn't just stand there in a right. shower, if somebody was like, I'm going to kill, you, I'd be like, fuck you. I punch them and start running. You know, I'd be like, I wouldn't just be like, Oh, we're going to have a conversation that I'm just going to get killed. Okay. Like there was no effort at all. That chick's part to like, I mean, Come on, Jess. I was like, get a knife for this poor, you know, this, like, how is she going to go in there and start yeah. threatening to kill her sister and not even, like, have a weapon? Like, she's just going to, like, you know, I mean, they didn't even, like, cat fight. Like, at least have a cat fight first, you know? Like, but no, she just starts, like, hitting her and kills her. And it was like, what? Like, she didn't even try? Come on. This is your life. Nobody goes down that easy. You know, like, she did not yeah. even raise a hand. And it was, like, two things, too, I noticed. Like, I was waiting for that. The sister, instead of slamming her head against the wall, I was waiting for her, like, stab her with a knife like in the shower right? like psycho because it's kind yeah, of a shock thing exactly. like you're, you know and then two not psycho it's like come on have a knife. yeah and, and two she's in the shower the whole time and you don't see any boobs that's why i'm like okay now here's right. the nude scene and i'm like waiting and even when her and head and she's too. she's got the boobs for oh, days yeah, too. totally and, and and when she's sliding down the wall he keeps <laughs> Keeps the camera above her tits the whole time. Doesn't pan down. I'm like you, motherfucker. I'm like, come on, man. What? Like this was the movie you decided to sign all the, you know? Okay, no, no nudity. Like, let's yeah. I was like, shirt. wow. I was like, this is wow. That just kept shocking me. I'm like, like oh, that movie should be the after school special. That's the movie that they're gonna make for TV, where it's like a child, you know, chick killing her her people on in revenge of her dad. Was that the plan? Like, it was so it could be on television. It, I don't know, yeah. Weird. Well. What was the yeah? What was the thinking there? Well, no, it's funny now that I think about it. Like I was reading about it in this film and Blood on My Shoes, the next one. Uh, he signed with this different producer company for a two-picture deal, and this was one of the two. So maybe ah. for some reason he didn't do nudity for that. Wanted to be able to use. He wanted it for TV, probably. Or maybe that was something in the contract, or I, don't know, I have no idea. I mean, it didn't really play TV, so yeah, you could have daddy dripping with blood, but you can't show any nipples. Yeah, yeah. So no, that's I see about that. That might be something. Look to do out with them. the television. Um, but yeah, and then uh, so yeah, so basically, then uh, after that lady, so what's weird too is in that scene I mentioned too, after she kills that lady. And the guy knocks on the door. You see that lady's body kind of twitch a little bit like she's still <laughs> alive or whatever. Yeah, she's still falling. Okay. And then Lena gets in the car with that guy and then they have that big car wreck. So I'm wondering what happened to that woman. Oh, no, because the other one was killed, right? Was the mother ever killed or did they just stay in that house? I kind of forgot. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I guess actually that that woman gets all the money, huh? 
Yeah, and then the other woman's kind of still alive because she's crawling around on the floor. She's not dead. She's kind of like moving. You know, that's why the guy hears. Oh no, voice. no, no! Because oh, sorry, wait. Lena went back and killed that chick. Yeah. Oh, did Lena. she? Okay, I, I must have. Forgotten. Yeah. Sorry, I'm like, wait, wait. Yeah, okay. no, no. Lena killed her. Yeah, okay. it was like. Oh yeah, the, that the girl killed right. her sister. She Lena killed her. No, and that's a good woman. scene. And then yeah. what? Like, like he he told her like. Um, you know, you're going to go like you're crazy and That's you're going right. to go kill this woman. And then I'm going to, you know, kill you and take all the money. And so Lena goes and kills the woman. That's right. Like, yeah. She's that crazy that she just like t- she knows that this guy's going to do that. And then she she still does it anyway and does what he tells her. Because, I mean, after all, she did kill his her dad or whatever. But I mean, geez, like how many people you got to kill to avenge your dad? It was like, oh, I know. <laughs> And now this dad. guy worked in the restaurant the same night. You got to kill him now. And then it's like, yeah, yeah like he was there. The mail. Yeah, like it was his weapon. He didn't use it, but he he looked in the eyes with the weapon <laughs> he like... used. Or it was like all this convoluted. Okay, like you got to kill four people to avenge your dad. Like, but yeah, that that all went down. And the, but just like the you know evil doctor said, and the doctor was going to take her off to kill her, but then they go over the the cliff. Yeah, and poor Dave, poor Dave goes running after. I know he almost slips on the edge. He's like, "Whoa!" <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. like, "No, crazy girl! What am I going to do without the insane girl that I fell in love with at first sight?" Because <laughs> I was thinking that was a a nice, and I was thinking too because Franco didn't have to finance this. That was a nice little stunt to have that car they're driving in actually go over the cliff, and it's not a cutaway from some older movie and a different car. It was actually the same car, so that's cool. Yeah. You know, you don't really see that. I'm like, wow, it's actually not some stock footage from some other movie, you know, of a car crash like you see in a lot of movies. Really cheap, cheap yeah. movies, you know. It was kind of a great metaphor for the whole train wreck thing. Being yeah. a train wreck. I don't know. Just, yeah. But then it's got a nice scene after she passes and she's walking with her dad and they're in the afterlife or whatever and they're watching on the beach and you see the nice fucking uh, rainbow and it's a really beautiful shot with the rock and you see full credits, everybody's name. Instead of just the end or Finn, it's, you know. Yeah. Yeah, no, Jess Franco put Jess Franco on there. And, I mean, they classed it up calling her Candace, you know, instead of Candy. Yeah, I know. Which I I keep thinking that's such a weird, like, I wonder why she got into that phase. And it's like, I can see for the X-rated stuff, but why regular movies? Why don't she just be Lena Romay? It's it's such a weird idea. Yeah. I mean, it was a lot of the 80s that she was doing that, though, right? Yeah, no. All right, so now we are going to jump onto not too hard uh, the uh, Franco Observer uh, checklist uh, checklist of things that uh, we go through and accumulate over what's this now 126 episodes of reoccurring uh, themes and things like catch. All right, number one, uh, body of water. Yeah, we see body of water at the beginning, uh, and then later on, number two, sailboat. Yeah, it's a nice scene of like. Uh, the water and like a bunch of sailboats uh gorgeous shot yeah 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 i, was, I think that was during the sequence of the guy was playing that song i think it was that it was like a really nice it was like, yeah with that like half dome on the ocean thing yeah it's gorgeous yeah, yeah really 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 nice lovely area i want to go to there Alicante. yeah no that's definitely on my list uh number three boats uh yeah sailboats boats mentioned that uh four palm trees yeah there's only just a few i caught like two or three like along the roadways when they're driving into town uh, not a lot, though. Um, number five, jungle sound effects. No, there's like wind sound effects and stuff. Uh, number six, chained up person. I think Lena in the cell would count. I mean, she's not physically chained up, but she's in. She's held in that cell. I kind of, yeah. you know. Yeah, that counts. Yeah. yeah. 
And can we just say, can I just say that the sound of, again, this, the sound, like the synthesizers, like when she would go crazy and when she'd kill, oh, the voices were just and stuff. awesome. Like yeah, the music no, totally. I really loved. I was just like, that's great. Like it was really pleasurable to watch in those scenes. There was lots of good sound in here. I, I liked that a lot. But that's my favorite thing about the movie, I think. Yeah, no, yeah. a lot of it, because a lot of it had to do with her mental thoughts and the control and the mind control element and yeah all that was it sounded good it didn't really sound hokey or, or cheesy or nothing yeah all the synthesizer like you know like uh, crazy you know yeah, some of the driving up music when the uh, evil thought or the sequence of that yeah like whenever she would start having her crazy thoughts start thinking you know her start thinking about her dad like you know wanting telling her her to avenge him all the sound was just like awesome I don't know. I was all yeah, about it. Yeah, he mentioned. Uh, oh, and the the little the that was what I was trying to remember. The um, I can't believe I haven't said this. Um, yeah, like the the tinkling the the children sound. You know, whenever she would become, it was like a a, oh, yeah. a, a soundtrack for when she would become the the daughter. That it was like that, you know, fucked up like doll sounds. You know, yeah, kind of like a dollhouse or like a little ballerina thing. Yeah, like a toy bar, or a toy box. Yeah. What was that melody? Yeah, I think that was. I think that's what it was. Ding yeah, ding ding. Yeah, let me see real quick. It says it in here now that you mentioned it. Um, let's see. Up. Uh, it was good. I liked it. I like all that like evil kid, evil doll shit. I love you know evil child genre is one of my favorites. I think I've watched like ninety percent of like evil kid movies out there. It's my shit. No, it had the. Um, okay, here it is. Um, a music box tune and a couple of MOR jazz pieces are the only new recordings. Okay, so that was new for this. Um, the credits refer to. Yeah, a piece. I, I thought they must have made it just for this because I haven't heard like that wasn't picked up anywhere else. And uh, yeah, it sounded definitely like tailored just for the this movie, which I liked a lot. And the song you like about the guy playing the guitar—that's a song called um, Annie Lowry, and ooh, it's adapted ooh. for the film by Fernando Garcia Morcello. I've really got to get those books you have. It's it says, I can find only one reference to a song with a similar line, Little Annie Lowry, an obscure ballad by a blackface performer, W.H. Delahanty. So that's probably back in the whatever. So I don't know. So Franklin might have took something from that and updated Annie it. Lowry by who? The original one is uh, Annie Lowry by Fernando Garcia, the last name M O R C I L L O. Okay. So yeah, that's that's that one. All right. Now you got to go back and reference I'll it. I'll look for it. Yeah. So that's that's that. Um. Uh. Yeah. So then they talk about other stuff. Um. But about it says. Um. Uh. Note: This is the third Franco film to feature hippie folk rocks, folk rockers as potential saviors of a trapped woman. The other two being Midnight Party. That's what I was thinking of, and uh, Opala de Fuego. Uh, the lyrics of the song sung by David Prokop Hutchinson, Melissa's Night in Shining Denim, are a jumble of English phrases with no disconcertable connection, like a William Burroughs cut-up of a John Denver lyric. So it's just a bunch of random words <laughs> he's just put together singing. Okay. Which makes sense. Um, all right. So uh, number, where are we at? Uh, number five, Jungle Sound Effects. Okay, number six, Chained Up Person. Yeah, Lena and the Deal. Uh, number seven, dance scenes on stage stripping. Nope. 
uh, eight club scenes, dancing at a bar. No, no bar scenes, no dancing, nothing like that. Number nine, jazz music. A little bit. There's a lot of mix of music we which we spoke of. Um, number ten, excessive zooms. Um, not excessive. I think there's some where they zoom in on the faces a lot of the kid. They're doing that. Yeah, they- but, yeah, yeah. But uh, eleven out of focus shots. No, there's one where she walks all the way to the camera and she goes out of focus. But to me, that was more of a transition shot, so I don't, I don't count that. Um, number twelve, mirror shots. Yeah, there's a few I'd mention. Um, the one, and especially at the end, where Carmen Carrion is before she's killed, she's looking at the mirror and she has a little mirror when she's combing her hair, sitting in front of a bigger mirror. I thought that was a nice shot. And then there's before a shot. she kills before she kills in the shower when she walks through that um it's 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 not a mirror but I mean it's the glass yeah that was that. what I was gonna say next yeah there's a glass reflection shot it's beautiful that is yeah. great yeah, yeah that, that was, really was nice. I was like oh yeah we're gonna drool over that yeah that was pretty it was like a it's for the listeners it was like a whole bunch of little squares um of, oh that of one too yeah oh that one too all the little yeah. And, oh, is that not what you're talking about? No, yeah, well, like, there's also she's one behind, of she's behind this door, and Franco zooms in on the squares reflecting her face, and all the like, so her face becomes like mirrored, like yeah. all these little faces and all the little glass, and he kind of plays with that, and that was that was that was probably the nicest, coolest shot in the whole. Yeah, thing. No, that, that one. Yeah, one yeah, that her... one with the door opens with her face, and there's one where she's smoking a cigarette in front of a in front of a glass, and the reflection, the light coming in, it's just really beautiful. The light it looks really really nice. That was another one I caught. Oh, another one too is when Lena's in the room where she's being isolated, and there's a weird shot of like a doorway. It's all dark in the room except for this orange light coming through the fucking door. It's really a cool, scary shot for like ten seconds. That's another cool. He plays with light a lot in the yeah, end. really nice, nice stuff with that. That one where where she does her first kill and she's walking down that like long dark hallway and you just see her silhouette and the, and there's like the orange in the background the yeah. light just gorgeous that was really stunning to me and there's a great sequence that was too, the most memorable shot in the whole movie too yeah where where the little girl's walking and he just shows her feet and she's putting one foot in front of the other and walking down the thing oh, and, yeah. and he just frames that and it's beautiful sequence of. It's almost like baby Lena getting ready to kill, you know? Yeah. But yeah, I was like, yeah. oh, that's fucking, remind me of like a, almost like a, a Kill Bill shot with the feet, with the walking and the oh, tile. Oh, yeah. You know, the kind of the ninja kind of a, you know, quiet killer yeah. thing. Um, so that was nice. Uh, number 13, mind control theme. Well, yeah, obviously that's what mm-hmm. this whole thing is, a mind control yeah, theme. Of for sure. Uh, but unfortunately, number thirteen or number fourteen, magic tongue scene. No, no magic tongue. There's not no, a one, no. not even close. Stays in her mouth, and maybe when she screams, it it, it exits. But that's about it. Um, yeah. uh, number fifteen, red light. No. Um, number sixteen, sheepskin rug. No masturbation with the letter C item. No. Um, but I will say. Because uh, this episode is going to drop after the film comes out. My new film, Emmanuel in Sin City, I managed to put in my film masturbation with a sea item. Seriously? And one of the women's oh masturbates God. with a candle. So <laughs> nice. Yeah. So love I love mean, it. Sea nope, item. And I checked it off my list when I was shooting. Like, oh, I've accomplished that in my lifetime too, come to think of it. Oh, masturbating with a candle. Nice. Yes. Was it lit? I mean, you know. <laughs> There are those that just kind of look like they're intended for that, you know. Was, was when I was young before I discovered vibrators, I got very creative. Many a beer bottle enjoyed itself in me. Whoa, yeah, okay. 
Sorry. That's funny. Not a C item, but yeah. Well, okay. Well, if it was a Coors bottle, you'd be good. <laughs> right? I was trying to think. I'm like, I don't think I ever worked with a Corona. <laughs> yeah, Corona or Coors. Coors. Said, yeah. No, I'm a, you know, I'm a high class kind of gal. <laughs> Devante. No. Um, okay. Only the best beer bottles went out my vagina. Yeah. And luckily they didn't do a fatty arbuckle, you know. <laughs> Breaking yeah, Coke no, bottles. Coke bottle is a C item. Yeah, no, and I've heard about the things that can happen with the suction and so yeah. many. I, 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 yeah, we won't go into my EMT neighbor stories, but <laughs> yeah, I know it always ends There's up that whole there. rabbit hole, <laughs> literally, pun intended. Exactly. <laughs> All right, uh, on to number 17 mad scientist and servant. Yeah, I would say Dr. Orloff's a mad scientist indirectly, you know, he's Dr. Orloff or, or Goff, whatever. Uh, he's he not su- quite mad, but he's mad because his whole, you know, angle. Well, yeah, I mean, he's ridiculous. mad because he's he basically since she was a little girl, he's like, I'm glad your mother died, and I've been waiting for you the whole mm-hmm. time and programming her. And I mean, he's you know, fucking. Well, he's glad the father died because he was in love with the mother, and the mother chose the father instead of him, and so right. then he's mad at the father. And then the mother died at childbirth right after she gave birth to her, you know. So he like, says. Dad's dead. Let it go. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, Eighteen fish tank shots. No. Nineteen talking parrot, talking animals. No. Although Lena has birds in her room, but I don't. I didn't count that because I didn't talk to her. Uh, number twenty in credits. Yes or no? Yes, we mentioned that. Um, Twenty-one handwritten signing. Funky. No, we see the signs for the restaurant and the bar, but those are already made and they're established signs. So I'm not gonna count those. Yeah. Uh, 22 spiral staircase. No, we have the staircase in front of Xanadu, but they don't ever use it. Um, Cause that house is always in the background. You don't really see it too much. They focus on the red kind of cool building, but not the cool house. You know, I think they drive yeah. by it, but a few times. They have, they have that one shot where she, with the first kill, they do that great shot through the window of that house. It's love that. Oh yeah. But it's in the red, it's in that red building, but not the other house. Hmm. You mean when she kills the uncle, the guy? Yeah, the uh, first, the first kill. Yeah, she movie. she kills him inside that red house area outside. Yeah, but yeah. but the, but through the window you can see that amazing black house and all. Its oh yeah, door. yeah, right, right, right. Really cool shot of like through that open window thing of of the house in the background. It's like a great view of it. Oh, totally, totally. But I mean, they don't go in. I was enjoying house. the view while she murdered him. Exactly. Yeah, no, I don't think <laughs> you get point. a room with a view. Um, <laughs> let's see. Uh, um, number 22 spiral staircase shot no uh, 23 inept cops no there's really no cops or law in in, in here just the well, let, let's call that inept cops because nobody showed up and there's like yeah, I know. Yeah, the murdered literally everywhere that's true all these dead bodies and there's, there's, like, yeah there's like dead bodies lying on the side of the road no yeah they said oh they they, they found yeah because they mentioned that they found the uncle's body which they would probably be the authorities of some kind but they don't go into it they just kind of leave it off to the side you know yeah you like know, oh they found it off. they didn't yeah. come here they didn't ask any questions they didn't do anything okay i'm calling inept cops yeah that's yeah. true that's check cool. that box <laughs> i know i think it was inept cops because of budget they didn't have the money yeah to hire a guy to play budget time yeah. yeah yeah but just yeah. saying which just you know, could have been bodies on on that road which you can clearly see that road goes nowhere but to that house do you really not go and knock on the door <laughs> that's true Ask me two questions. I mean, so. Oh, yeah. So they found the body. Nobody, you wouldn't know, but. <laughs> yeah, not exactly. Yeah, crazy. 
Um, and just also that they left it out there. Like, okay, you took you took Lena in, but you just left that body there. Like, I don't. The whole thing is just weird. Yeah, yeah. weird, weird yeah, movie. There's, there's a couple things in here that's not written really well. <laughs> Um, number 24, belly chains. No. Number 25, kinks. I don't know. Um, I don't really, it's not really a no. sexual film. It's not even I mean, unless you want to be like dude who falls for grooming yeah. chicken, uh, in, in a wheel, <laughs> mentally impaired chick in a wheelchair. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Hot, yeah. baby. <laughs> uh, 26, great headboards. There's uh Carmen carry on, uh, her scene where she's in the mirror. Her headboard's cool. She's got a wood headboard, and one end goes all the way up really tall on the end. Like, you can hang things on this one pole on the headboard. I thought that was kind of cool. I caught that because I was looking. Uh, yeah. 20, 27, fear or desire? I say desire. What? You're joking. No, You're because the joking. fat guy desired the mother. He desired the money. Everybody desires the money to kill her. That is so reaching. The movie literally starts with her screaming in fear. And the whole time she's like afraid and she's murdering people. And you're like, oh, this is about desire. We have some, we, we have some different perceptions of what desire. Yeah, is. no, I mean, there is fear. Yeah, no, I, I see your side too, but I, I was thinking about that myself. I said, desire, desire is sexual. Like, I did not get any sexual vibes at all, except for those girls shaking well, their big boobies, that one scene. There's <laughs> desire for money. That's the most root of all evil is desire of money or the, That's, the I mean, know. but the fear of death for it, it was driving the whole film, you know? I mean, the, the film is all about alone in terror. Against the terror. terror, yeah. Against the terror, yeah. Fear. There's a lot of fear, Jason. I think it's equal. I mean, sister kills her sister for like. It, but that's for the desire she's doing. It is the evil uh, desire. You know, the desire to kill, the desire to take all this money and and be filthy rich. I desire this thing, and I'll kill whoever gets in my way. It's my desire. You know. I feel like this is going to enter a big philosophical debate at this point. Like, <laughs> we always end up getting that way. This. Like, to me, it's just unequivocally alone in the terror. Is a yeah, I know it is fear. fear. But besides I mean, Lena. screaming because she... she's been having nightmares her entire life, you know, like, and, and I mean. But she's, she's the only one that has constantly fear, like, I mean, she's the center of the movie. And the whole time that you look at her, she looks like she's terrified. Right. The whole time she's like completely like, you know a mess she's a hot mess this right movie. she she's has never, ptsd she never smile she never lightens up not at, at any point is she ever happy she's always like sad and scared and am i going crazy what's going on you know her whole she's just totally gaslit well not, not she's not even gaslit really i mean she well no she, she has ptsd uncle. because she saw her dad die and the blood ran on her so she doesn't she's like traumatized from that you know yeah she she knows why she's traumatized yeah i mean yeah she's she's a hot mess and she's just living with the fear of like am i how am i gonna get past this how i keep seeing my dad dripping with blood talking to me i mean i don't know to me that's all about the fear the other characters if they have desires like she should be afraid of them you know because she's being but it's like Right, no, I, I see. But besides her, nobody else has fear. It's just her. I mean, they in the end, they're they're scared because somebody's killing somebody. But to me, at first, I thought it was the desire because they all desired to get this inheritance money, you know, and they conspire evil things to get the money. But yeah, but Lena is all fear, and and her is the fear. But besides, yeah, and it's, she's the main character. Yeah, so. she's the pro, she's the protagonist, you know, yeah. but the antagonist is desire. So I guess I'll say fifty fifty. The the lead <laughs> is the fear and the antagonist is the desire. 
because they all desire. I'll wrestle you on that one, but we can yeah. agree to disagree. Yeah. <laughs> Which means nothing. Uh, 28. <laughs> Acoustic guitar player. Yeah, the guy plays the acoustic guitar for sure. Yeah, we mentioned lovely. that many times. Uh, 29, reading a book scene. Yeah, Lena's reading a book, and they mentioned that. It's actually pretty cool because uh, the book is uh, Dr. Brody's Report, and it's basically <laughs> about um, basically taking <laughs> bigger stories and doing smaller versions of bigger stories. And he's doing that with these films, taking his bigger stories and making smaller minimalist versions of these older stories. Huh. So it's kind of cool for she's reading it and what she's reading reflects what he's trying to do. A lot of times the books don't mean shit with the movie, but in this case, it's kind of a cool in, in thing. Of Dr. Brody's report could also be about Jaws solidifying my theory. That the <laughs> it's a different Dr. Brody. Yeah. It's all about fear. See, <laughs> uh, it's a different Dr. Brody. <laughs> Duels or violent rivalries like we're having right now. No. <laughs> um, and finally, number 30 P scene. Yeah. I mentioned the two women saying that she almost peed her pants, you know, but, but she doesn't piss or nothing, but that's, but, but they, they mentioned it and he wrote the dialogue. I haven't ever said that she had to pee her pants. So, so yeah, so that's the, uh, that you're now fascinated by the peeing aspect of his movies. Yeah. It's weird. All of a sudden he just gets in these <laughs> trends of just going on a thing for a few films. It was talking birds or peeing or just weird shit. He'll get onto these things. Yeah, I think it's random. I don't think that that's something that he's intentionally inserting at all. And so I think it's just funny that you're like, you're sort of like, I think it's like the number 23 for you. It's one of those where once you see it, you're going to start seeing it everywhere. It's like, no, but, I, <laughs> I think but I'm not saying it's in all the films that. and it's all the stuff, but I could <laughs> see where it first started showing up and then it was showing up in like every film after that for a few times. So it's like, okay, like that's what you know because you start as an artist when you write and stuff like i do the same thing i'll repeat things and i won't realize it and i'll go through oh here's this here's that but it's a different thing or it's changed or it's whatever you know it's just it's just what's in your pan as you're cooking you know huh. but, uh, now i'm I, thinking about my book that i've been working on and i'm like have i ever mentioned peeing <laughs> i yeah. don't think i have <laughs> But uh, I'm, I'm going to be looking for that. Jesus. Oh, my brain. <laughs> okay. All right. So what's, so what's your closing thoughts on this film? Would you watch Ooh. it again? I'd be mad at it, but like, I just, it's not, you know, the, when you got a couple hundred Francos to put on, definitely not the yeah. top of the pile. No. no. Um, I like. I'm glad, I'm glad I watched. I'm not mad. I'm oh, yeah, not, no, I'm not like, it's not. There's a lot of cool things to it. It's 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 worth a watch. I'd say. I'd say it's it's worth like, you know, if you're a, a, you know, if you are a Franco fan, you're listening. Geez, if you're listening to number 126 on the Franco Observer, you know, you, it, it's worth a shot. You know, it, oh, yeah. it's something that you're not going to be mad you saw. It, there's some cool things that happen, but yeah, it, you know, if you're trying to find like your your top 20 Francos, not in there. <laughs> no. uh but i will say it's it's in that period of where you know the little flavia is acting acting and she's really good in this uh she's really serious and she's a good little actress you know and i i definitely like the films that frank was doing with truly really worth it for watching her actually that's actually an excellent point yeah just and just the the music like she has her own soundtrack that's worth that's something that's special yeah and and there's really nice lighting and that whole sequence where he's playing the guitar singing that song that sequence is really nice and like I said, the last 20 minutes or so really 
get going really well. I thought it picked up a lot when you start doing the killings and all the shit starts happening and all the cool shots. It's like all everything starts piling up. But yeah, it's kind of a little bit too late by that time. But it's not bad. I mean, it's just weird pacing like we talked about before, and uh, it could be helped. But like I said, when it's derivative of other things, it's kind of better to go back and watch the other things that it's derivative of. I think. Sure. Instead, Absolutely. Know. So yeah, watch she killed an ecstasy. Watch you know the Doctor Orloff and all that. Yeah, yeah, the other side of the mirror and and nightmares yeah. come at night and all the other stuff that they took from and definitely yeah. with the same themes. But uh, yeah, you know, uh, I know it's out on torrent sites. I got my copy through Trash Palace. Uh, it'd be cool if they put this out. Uh, I don't see why a company wouldn't put this out. You know, Severin or somebody should. It's safe. There's nothing wrong with it. You know, it's not controversial. It would be good to see it cleaned up. Big time. Yeah, a lot of it's really dark. Uh, yeah. at night and it's kind of hard to see a couple sequences and definitely I'd probably like it a million times better if it was cleaned up actually yeah you... lots of potentially like about it but when it's so kind of blurry and everything it's you know cool hard to appreciate even even the cool like you know mirror scenes and stuff it's like still not as you know Impressive. As charming yeah yeah most definitely so all right yeah. well um up next on our list, the next episode, we'll be talking about blood on our shoes. So looks like Zapatos. blood. Yeah, Viva Zapatos. There's a few Spanish words that for some reason I never forget. When As soon as I see that word, I'm like, shoes. I don't know why. Maybe it's just because there's that company called Zapatos. Sorry, I'm rambling. And sangre for me is always blood, I know, because Santa Sangre, holy blood. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And which is weird because blood is the theme for these two films, it seems like. Because this last yeah. film, alone because the terror was all blood, and now this is blood, you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking there's probably not going to be any boobies in this since it's the same. Yeah, know, we'll thing. see. Well, that that'll be our. We're going to be booby deprived. Yeah, so maybe go back and watch a little bit of uh, shining sex or something, you know. <laughs> yeah. Watch the the story of O or something to get your rocks off, you know. But you know, <laughs> so, alrighty. Well, good night. Buenas noches, Maha. <laughs> Cheers, cheers. cheers, cheers.